With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning and welcome to this episode of the Black Tuesday podcast. It's funny. um, When you look at how the nation is dealing with the pandemic. It's the issues with information. It's the issues with why certain information leaks as far as medical data and how you see a lot of people with Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, medical degrees. I didn't know that these platforms offered uh, medical degree programs, but apparently everyone is a doctor. I'm not, so what I have decided to do is bring in our favorite doctor, one of the smartest people to ever grace our airways. She's a cardiologist, Dr. Alisa Nitsch. Alisa, good morning. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I am good. I am good. Now, it's funny. Um, When you see people who are trying to interpret uh, medical data and trying to use it to spin something politically, it's weird. Case in point, this week, actually a couple of days ago, there is a talk about the Penn State head of the uh, medical program. He said that 30 to 35% of Big Ten athletes who contracted COVID-19 show signs of myocarditis. As a doctor, first and foremost, what exactly is myocarditis? Uh, sure. So um, there is so much to talk about uh, with with that statement that um, Dr. Sebastianelli made earlier this week. Um, myocarditis is, uh, you know, as simply as it can be defined, it's inflammation of the heart muscle. And uh, this is something that we see um, almost exclusively um, as a product of a viral infection. 
So a lot of young people, um, especially this time of year, actually, um, unrelated to COVID, but um, in past years, uh, will will kind of present after they've had a fever or runny nose, even some GI symptoms like diarrhea. They'll get kind of this sudden chest pain, um, end up in the emergency room, and end up with uh, a diagnosis of, of myocarditis based on uh, some blood tests and an EKG and then um, a couple other studies that we do to kind of narrow down that diagnosis and confirm it. So uh, we're in a whole other world now with COVID-19, um, and we know um, that it does involve the heart as well as other organs. And so we have some evidence out there that it can cause myocarditis. We just don't know how frequently um, and uh, so this, this statement was kind of stunning um, when it came out, and I think we're kind of still absorbing what that means for sort of the broader population of young athletes. Now, with this statement, there was also a subsequent walk back by doc, Dr. Shabeshnelli. Now, now, it seemed like the walk back was, it was oddly stilted in its approach because if you felt so strongly about it the first time and you for just clarity and a definitive nature you for lack of a term said it with your chest you said it with feeling why do you think there was a walk back do you think that there was conference pressure or do you think it was a rethought or do you think that it was a fear of scaring people yeah, really interesting question. So uh, the walk back was really nebulous because um, he said, you know, 30 to 35 percent of Big Ten athletes had who had had COVID positive tests um, underwent this, this these MRI uh, scans. This is apparently um, when he made the walk back statement yesterday. This is apparently um, an actual. Uh, clinical trial. It's a, it's a study um, of a survey of these athletes, and it hasn't been published yet. And what he was saying is that he misquoted the data. And so it's, I'm not sure why he did that. Apparently, he was speaking to um, a number of high school sports administrators um, and officials in the local area. And so the question was, when he made that initial statement of the 30 to 35 percent, was he trying to be a little dramatic, be a little, make a point that, you know, this is out there, um, you should be careful with your athletes, uh, but somebody recorded him, and it got to the press, and here we are. So um, what, even if the motivation was... Um, innocent um, and well-intentioned, um, you know, the, the, the consequence, especially, and, and the kind of lack of awareness of just sort of everyone's on edge um, right now with, with regards to this, um, I don't think um, it was very wise. And so, you know, this is what he was um, forced to do yesterday, which is kind of walk back. Um, so we'll see what that data shows. Um, if it gets published, I'm, I'm interested to sort of see what um, what the actual data shows because I don't it's I don't think it's going to be zero. 
I think there is going to be a, you know, a significant um, number based on um, some other reports and some other data in the literature that has come out before now, um, primarily from the European studies that are out there. So um, we'll see. But I think that it was probably a mistake. I think he regrets it. Um, but I think he was trying to be a, make a point to the, you know, a community of, of uh, school athletic uh, directors, et cetera, and it got, you know, kind of got out, got out in front of him. In your opinion, as a cardiologist, how would you have constructed the college football season? Would you have one, or would what specific guidelines would you? If you if you were suddenly become the director of football medicine as far as cardiology, you know if you had that power, if somebody you say, hey, this is your job to do all this, how would you structure the 2020 football season as far as safety precautions and protocols? Or would you even have a season? Yeah, this is a really really uh, hard you know, you know kind of decision right now. Um, we are still in the midst of, uh, you know, kind of heavy duty, um, you know, caseloads. Um, we still have a thousand people dying per day in the U.S. from COVID. Um, we're seeing some of the colleges and schools that opened early uh, end up with, within days, they have a thousand cases of covid in their midst. And so, you know, we have an issue of quarantine. So if you want to have athletes healthy, you're going to have to probably construct some type, some type of bubble, um, like so many of the professional sports um, have decided to do. That's a hard thing, um, you know, for, for those athletes, you know, simply because they don't get to be students anymore. You know, they're they're treated like professional athletes, and you know that's something that some of them might be okay with. Others may not be so, you know, fond of being kind of confined to that sort of space. The other the other issue is testing. So you know we don't have great systems universally to test frequently in many um, states in this in this country. So we, and test turnaround times continue to be on the order of several days or even a, a week or more. Uh, and so that's unreasonable. You're going to inevitably have, have break, breakthroughs and, and outbreaks from uh, the inability to sort of quarantine people who test positive. Um, so we, we would have to do better from that standpoint. And then, you know, you have kind of what we're talking about today, which is these athletes who've already had COVID. What do you do with them? How do you, how do you clear them? And we've just had some statements come out from groups in Europe, and then we also had one from American College of Cardiology that just came out this week as well that talks about, you know, clearance. And so we, you know, obviously have – a group of elite athletes, I would consider college athletes elite. And there's definitely some extensive testing that um, potentially could go into clearing, you know, these athletes and making sure that they have 
essentially a clean bill of health, um, that they're safe to go back and play vigorous sports, and that takes time. And it's a, and it's, you know, it, and it could be a, a rolling process. You know, some people got sick in June, some people are sick now. And how do you kind of um, sort that out? So we have a big problem with regards to the logistics of getting teams in shape to actually perform and, and play a game with a, a full complement of, of, of team members, if you're talking about football or any other athlete, um, to put them out there to compete. So, you know, um, I, I think that the fact that we're just kind of getting all of these ideas together right now, it's already September. I just think, like, practically speaking, and, you know, just staying away from the politics of it or the pressures or the financial issues, that just generally speaking, I don't think it's feasible, you know, to do it at least this this year. I think you're going to have to wait until at least the spring um, to, to be able to say um, we have our systems in place to actually keep these kids healthy, get them ready to play, and actually keep them on the field without any sort of risk of infection. Now, if we spin from that and just also discuss <laughs> the response as far as the state government response to COVID, you see different states who are responding in different ways and different type of approaches, being states like Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York, who had a severe, severe COVID issue, they took this seriously. Michigan also took it seriously. Then you have states like, I don't know, Texas, or worst case, worst case scenario, Florida, who have just let people just start dying left, right, and center. As a doctor, how frustrating is it to watch different levels of state politics interfere with the basic health of Americans. Yeah, it's it's tremendously frustrating. Uh, I have, uh, I, I'll say, the luxury of living in Massachusetts. Um, I know that I know what we're doing here in terms of testing. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, we, we have here, is obviously, I think we have responsible governance. We have resources that are devoted to this. We have. Um, something called the Broad Institute, which is usually a, a large research, especially genomics, um, you know, very, very uh, kind of well-funded institution affiliated with Harvard that is actually running the college testing program here. And they've run over a million tests now on just on college students. So Tufts University, for instance, you have to get tested when you arrive, and then you have a twice-a-week testing schedule just for you, and all of these tests are turned around in 24 hours. So that is the um, kind of the landscape that, that I live in. Um, I think that when you see, you know, state governments sort of ignore and allow um, behaviors to occur, 
that are risky to your most vulnerable residents, it is a very um, is a very frustrating thing to see. Uh, you know, I think that it's it's um, <laughs> I call it you know the curse of toxic libertarianism because you know it's it's essentially everyone out for themselves. Uh, you know, no regulation, no safety measures. If you die, you die. Uh, if you, you know, infect somebody else and they die, well, that's just how it goes. And I think that that's a really bad way to conduct, you know, basically maintain society uh, and, and public health in general. Um, public health is, is just that. It's public. And it's, it's not um, a study of as individuals. It's individuals as a collective and, and how um, that affects the spread of disease uh, and, and, you know, how this can, you know, how, how you best contain that disease. So it's a very, very hard thing um, to see the different sort of attitudes um, that are out there from state to state. And so that's, that's definitely, you know, I think it's, it, uh, it's very harmful, I think, for especially also the mental health of people who are working in the front lines. Um, in some of these states, they know um, and they get the brunt of it. Um, they are taking care of the people who are victims of these policies, and they feel that they are not getting the support that is tangible to protect them from essentially burning out and not being able to, you know, getting sick themselves or not being able to go to work. So, you know, I think that that's, that's you know, on a kind of personal note, uh, I think, you know, for colleagues all over the country who are dealing with this, that's a big deal. When we come back from break, I want to discuss the various idiocy that people see on social media via COVID and being a doctor. You are listening to the Black Tuesday podcast on the FPC radio network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are back with the Black Twitter podcast, Terrence Biggs, Dr. Lisa Nitsch. Alisa, when it comes to things that are consumed via social media, via COVID, and people will use memes or weird, far-out YouTube videos to articulate their points, what have you seen recently that is a facepalm moment you're like I just don't understand like you went to, you went to med school you doctor cardiologist you know what you're talking about have you seen people who have no medical training at all expound these wild theories and 
how do you restrain yourself from just letting them have it? Yeah, so um, if people follow me on Twitter, they, they know that I post um, not infrequently about uh, conspiracy theories, uh, various um, social media uh, support of those cons- uh, conspiracy theories, um, including QAnon. And, you know, I think, first of all, um, you know, just, just to, to set out kind of the ground rules for, you know, a group like QAnon, this is, this is a cult. This is not just a, you know, some people kind of posting random things. This is an actual true belief um, in, in, in some of these, um, you know, conspiracies that are put out by, you know, kind of sort of a group of people that, that you know, and then, then it just kind of circulates from there. And one of these things that came out um, recently was somebody – so affiliated with that belief system, um, put out, you know, in a, 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 a tweet, um, put out on, on Facebook groups that, in fact, <laughs> the number of people who have died from purely COVID-19 was only 9,000 people. That the rest of the 185,000 had high blood pressure, heart disease, whatever, you know, associated conditions and therefore could not possibly have COVID-19 as their primary cause of death. And, you know, uh, you know for, for us as physicians, um, we never, um, you know, are going to list on a death certificate the actual name of the virus. Um, we are going to list the conditions um, that, that, lead to somebody's, you know, death on their death certificate. Um, and so when you have somebody trying to twist kind of typical, uh, uh, you know, usual appropriate uh, documentation that happen in medical centers into their ideological, you know, to their ideological advantage to create sort of this this false narrative that COVID nineteen is only has only really killed nine thousand people. Um, yeah, it makes my blood boil. Uh, this is this is you know people are kind of taking something that has been our practice for decades. And now they've just finally discovered kind of how, how it's done and they are twisting that narrative into, you know, for their own benefits. And then it gets retweeted by, you know, obviously powerful people in the government uh, and it gains even more traction. So, so this is kind of um, what we're constantly facing as, as medical professionals uh, that. You know, there's huge suspicion. There's, you know, plenty of people out there who will come after you. Um, you know, they will attack you. They will, you know, threaten you with, you know, calling the state medical board against you. Um, you know, we know, you know, Anthony Fauci and his family had death threats 
uh, from, from various individuals and groups. So it's, it's a real problem. Um, we have a real um, challenge with kind of regaining <sighs> neutral ground on science and medicine and establishing a common basis of truth. Now, doctors, nurses, medical professionals, it is their honor-bound duty to take care of the infirm, take care of the sick. But put that aside for one quick second. Throughout all this, throughout the pandemic, throughout, how are you? How are you doing as far as dealing with the copious amounts of stress on a daily basis of surfing through this pandemic. We talk about the victims, and we rightfully should. As a doctor, whew, how are you holding up, and how do you manage to keep everything on an even keel when there is mass amounts of just stress around you with this virus? Yeah, I, I mean... Obviously, the worst the worst of it was, you know, was certainly where I live um, very early on um, in the pandemic. So it was, you know, March, April, beginning, first half of May. And it was very isolating, um, very scary, um, you know, in terms of people were actually scared of each other um, because, you know, you could be infected. I don't want to be near be near you and so everyone kind of viewing everyone suspiciously and um, that was very hard I think you know it, it was very hard to kind of cope with that uh, you know sort of mentality and you know I'm I, I think different people were affected differently um, I know a lot of my my colleagues and friends who are more extroverted <laughs> uh, were suffering a lot more um, because they didn't have the social contacts that they did, and it was you know it was it was really hard to kind of you know find. I mean, you had to kind of catch up with things, meaning you know get get online, get on your Zoom, um, you know, have a Zoom cocktail party, have a Zoom coffee. Um, you know, have have sort of um, creative ways of trying to um, you know, stay connected and, and see your friends and, and make sure that, you know, you were checked on and then you were checking on other people and making sure that they were okay. Um, social media, you know, obviously played a part um, in terms of kind of keeping people in touch and, and that's good. Um, but social media also has its toxicities and um, you know, it's it's not always good to be on on those sites all the time. Um, and I've actually probably cut back on you know Twitter um, you know, over the past few months myself because of it. Um, so it's uh you know I I think that you know it's it's been um, I think gradually coping. Um, with some of these things, I think there are still there's people who are truly suffering in the medical field. I think there are some people who will potentially quit medicine this year because of what they've been through, um, and that's a sad thing. Um, and and I think that that's something that again, because of some of the policies that allowed the hospital systems 
and the medical systems in their state to be overwhelmed where, and, and we use a term in medicine called moral injury. You know, when you're so stressed out and you're so, you have so many patients that are, you know, critically ill on ventilators and you feel like you can't spend the time or think about the problem as comprehensively as you would want to normally, and that patient ultimately passes away, you're always going to second-guess yourself. You're always going to kind of say, wait a second, if I had had a few more minutes to think about this, could I have changed something or adjusted something to maybe save that patient's life? That likely probably isn't true in this, you know, in this particular situation. Intellectually, you can kind of go there and say it probably would not have changed the outcome. But emotionally, you're going to think that there was something I could have done if I only had a, a moment to breathe. And that is what's going to haunt so many of these folks for months and years to come and may drive some of them out of medicine. When you look at that and when you look at the fact that, I mean, people – Regular people like myself, we have no idea what our medical professionals endure as far as the empathy portion of the job. Like all of us know, our medicine's a science, and doctors and medical professionals, they are scientists. They have studied science of various forms of the body, various diseases, various parts, but the human aspect of the feeling to know that, I mean, there's that person who's a patient and they're dealing with something that is difficult for them and it's got to be a different tone for the for the doctor who's attending to them. Now, throughout all of this misery, and trust me, you know better, you know, it's like the, the pandemic is just, it's it has pretty much brought the country to a standstill. Have there been any moments of smile-worthy occurrences where you're like, you know what, this was a good event, this person or this situation worked out, and I can leave this building with a smile? Yeah, um, I think, gosh, I mean, you know, again, I think, you know, talking with, knowing kind of what colleagues went through early on, it's like, there are, those days were a few and far between um, when, uh, you know, you had a patient actually come off a ventilator and be able to, you know, walk out of the hospital or at least be wheeled out on a, on a, in a wheelchair. And, and um, you know, I had I, I doctor, you know, physician friends of mine who had family members who went through this and very scary times. So on top of trying to do their job, they had a family member who was affected by COVID. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, you, you do have to kind of hold on to those, those victories, um, and you, and there are more of them. Um, I think we are, things have moved. It, it, um, it seems like this year has lasted for about 10 years. Um, but in fact, um, you know, we have moved forward in, being able to treat patients um, much more intelligently, 
um, find, I, I think there, we, we hope that there's more therapeutics out there that are going to come uh, for these, you know, um, to, to treat patients. But we have found a few things that have worked better as the weeks and months have gone along, and that's a good thing. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I think that those are, you know, positive things that we can hold on to. Uh, we have so many questions and so much to learn. And now we have this challenge of what we call kind of long COVID, which kind of plays into what we were initially talking about um, with regards to the, this, this evidence of myocarditis and what do, we, you know, what do we do with these folks that are having persistent symptoms and what, what does it mean for them? Um, and that's going to be a whole other challenge where we're potentially dealing with a whole population of, of folks that have, you know, some type of chronic disease now. Um, and, and, you know, so, and, and, it's, and it's trying to obviously educate, you know, folks about that um, because a lot of primary care physicians are seeing these, these patients and they're wondering what to do with them. Um, and then they'll, they'll call me up and ask. Um, and, you know, just now, like I said, we're, we're getting some new information, some new recommendations, and I'm having to call a couple people back and say, you know, actually, you know, you should probably send this patient on over for, the, for these tests just to be careful. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's constant learning. It's constant, um, I think, you know, revelations about this, and, and I think that that's intellectually exciting, but it's, you know, very, very slow, and, you know, any little breakthrough, you know, is, is helpful, I think, <laughs> mentally um, as we kind of, you know, push through the, you know, into the fall, and um, we know we're going to have issues with school openings. Um, we already are seeing that, and, and, and that's going to be another whole other um, potential wave of, of COVID that we're going to have to encounter, and nobody's looking forward to that. Now, last question: If you had the, if you were had the ability to stand in front of a microphone in a podium in all of America at one time, all of us were were watching you speak. If you could give two pieces of advice to the nation, to regular everyday Americans about this and how to process medical information that they are given via the media, what would it be? The first would probably be wear a mask when you're out. Uh, when you leave your house, put on a mask. Um, that would be number one. Um, and, and, you know, you know, protect yourself, protect others, you know, protect your neighbor. You don't know their story. And you need to respect that. And that's, you know, my first piece of advice um, from a public health perspective. Uh, and then, the, you know, the, the other, um, which is kind of a more broad piece of advice is, is you know, please, um, and, and, and this is a difficult one because, you know, we, we have, um, we sadly have, um, you know, people in the government now who are quote unquote, you know, physicians and scientists who are kind of playing a political game as well. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, my, my, 
you know, sort of my second piece of advice is, you know, please listen to, you know, the public health experts who have, you know, been, you know, been speaking out, been, you know, kind of have your best interests at heart, um, who are following the science and are trying to communicate this um, as best as as best as they can. Um, there are many of them out there, um, and even you know your your family doctor. You know, um, you know, listen to them. You know, ask them questions. You know, if and and please ask questions. Um, we want them. We we don't want to be. Um, you know, want want to have one way communication, but we also um, need people to please just have an open mind and know that kind of people are trying to are out there who are really ha- you know trying to kind of make make society safe, make you know your day to day activities safer, um, and so you know please just you know open your heart, open your mind, and and listen ask questions, and, you know, we really want everybody to, you know, be a participant in getting things back to normal. Um, I don't think everything is going to go exactly back to what we had before COVID, but we can at least, you know, have a better quality of life than, you know, we've we've had in the last few months. Now, if somebody wanted to interact with you and become smarter about med Twitter and just a medicine in general, how would they be able to interact with you on Twitter? So I can be uh, found. My handle is Elisa Doc One, and um, I uh, you know, can certainly you know field some questions, especially about. Um, Biocarditis and cardiology in the face of COVID, um, and uh, you know, I think that um, it's it's uh, it's something that you know, I'm I'm happy to, especially like worried moms and <laughs> what do I do with my young athlete? Um, there's definitely you know some information out there now that's very useful for those families. As always, it is my honor to spend this time and talk to you about something that people receive so much disinformation and wrong information and odd stats. Actually, to talk to a, a doctor, a cardiologist about this is time well worth spent. Elisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This has been another episode of the Black Tuesday Podcast. Follow Elisa's advice. Be good to yourselves and damn it, be good to each other.